First responders, first of all, we welcome you tonight. And I have about four short paragraphs that I've kind of crafted and put together. And I, I tell you that because I would like for you to stand for those uh, paragraphs. And I didn't want you to think you were into something, you know, got to stand some long-winded preacher, go on and on and on, you know. Uh, but I just, I wanted to kind of address you uh, in the audience of everyone else. And if we could, uh, just our first responders or retired first responders, if you would stand and just remain standing for just a little bit while I read this tonight. Would you all all stand, please? And we've got a whole bunch of them right back here. We're out. Thank you. If, if you all will just remain, just remain standing just for a few moments here. Twelve years ago, uh, it's been 12 years since the horrific events of 9-11, and our world has changed. On 9-11, there was panic, there was fear, there was terror. And it was not lost on us that while people were running for their lives, running away from danger... First responders were running right toward the danger and right into the middle of it in order to save lives. And first responders are a special kind of people. And it's more than just a job. It has to be. I believe it's a call. And it requires courage. And underneath all of that is great compassion. And so we have 12 years ago and then just about a month ago, right here at the entrance of our church, there was a tragic accident with a fatality involving a, a young man in high school. And I watched again as first responders rushed to the scene and worked in the rain to help, to rescue, to protect others, and to restore order. And then a thousand times and more, and a thousand events and more in between 9-11-2001 and today, you have rushed in to help and to protect and to rescue and to restore and to preserve. And I think I speak for all of us. We are always relieved and thankful to see you coming and always relieved and thankful to hear you coming. And we thank you for that. Our, our quality of life is better because of you. And so this evening, as Meadowbrook Church, we just want to thank you. And we want to honor you tonight. Meadowbrook family, could we thank and honor our first responders tonight. And if you would, uh, and, and I want to thank, I want to pray over you in just a moment. I want to thank We've got Marion County Sheriff's Office with their mobile command unit. We've got uh, city and county doing all kinds of stuff, fire trucks and police and every, everything out there, and ambulance. And 
Um, I just thank you for bringing all of that here. I think it's a good reminder for us. And uh, we know you got us covered, but we want you to know we got your backs too. And we're praying for you. We're for you. And if, and I'm not just saying this. Those who have been here for years have heard me say this and say this. If I ruled the world, now don't. And I'm not running for anything. But the top of the pay grade, top of the pay grade would be teachers and first responders. Top of the pay grade. Let's pray. Father, tonight we are so graced and so blessed and so grateful for the infrastructure that we have in our community, in our country. And we do not take it for granted. And we thank you and we thank them tonight. And I just pray, Lord, that there would just be an extra sense of purpose and call for each one of them. I know it can be very hard, very challenging for them. And I just pray that they would be encouraged, that their call would be renewed, that they would just sense and know the great purpose and value of what they're doing. I pray for their families. I pray, Lord, that the stress and strain because of the safety issues and the the heavy burden that they bear, that carries over into family. I just speak and pronounce the peace of God into homes and into marriages. And, Lord, that their homes would be just truly a sanctuary, a peaceful and safe place. And, God, we pray that as they come and go in their duties, that they would be kept safe. And that you give them favor. And we just thank you for provision for them, too. And while tax dollars are tight and so forth, I just pray there be a renewed thinking regarding cost versus value. And that the value of what they do would be seen and supported. And, Father, we just as citizens and as taxpayers, but most importantly, as believers and citizens of the kingdom of God, we support, we cheer them on, and we thank them tonight, and we thank you for them. May your blessing be upon them. Thank you that we live in such an awesome land that we always know help is on the way, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we call these these first responders blessed tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Let's thank them one more time. Thank them. Thank you all. Thank you. You You all may be seated. And whoever pays attention the most tonight gets to climb the ladders out there and help take down the flags afterwards. But we have to have a note from your mom to let you do that. Awesome. Well, I just did not want um, today to get by without us kind of marking um, a very significant event in uh, in our culture. And I pray that you'll keep in mind what I want to call a a sacred realism. That although we've got a lot of reality happening and hitting us in the face in the world, understand that God has things he's doing that will not be diverted, not, not be abated. Um, God is God and God, um, his plans and his purposes will, will prevail. And don't, don't lose sight of that. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to get into the word tonight. I mean, even though that's all right. And, um, we'll go ahead and look here in first Timothy chapter four. And I believe this is going to help every one of us tonight. And if I didn't believe that, I probably should just be quiet. 
and have Sherry come sing again or something. So, but first Timothy chapter four, verse seven and eight, uh, in the new living translation, it says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives tales. Instead, watch this, train yourself to be godly. Everybody say that train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. The same verses in the message paraphrase says this. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. I like that. I want to read it again. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. And I want to talk a little bit, and we, we've shared a number of things, continued through the years on this, but this is just vital and some real fresh things that the Lord is uh, speaking in my heart on some of these things too. I believe that we need to train ourselves to be godly. We need to uh, uh, relieve ourselves of the idea that God's going to do it all. This is a this is a cooperative thing where um, we have to cooperate with God. Are y'all y'all with me? And it actually is going to involve a little bit of discipline and effort on our parts. I just lost some of you, didn't I? Uh, but we've got to train ourselves. To be godly. I think as believers, we need to continue to be. And I did a series on this a couple years ago called In Training. Y'all remember that? But I think training is important. Um, how many of you are grateful that our first responders are trained? <laughs> could, could you imagine? I mean, they could be the nicest people and sincere people and prompt people and then be clueless. And be sincere, but sorry, you know, and show up and not know how to turn on the hoses or how to get a gun at, you know, Barney Fife it, you know, can't, can't, where's my bullet and, you know, where are the band-aids and all those kind of things. I'm glad they're trained Amen. and they, they continue to go through training. And I think anything worthwhile, anything that, that really, really counts, I need, you need to continue to train in that. Pilots have to go through recertification and flight safety and so forth and, and surgeons and everybody's got to continue to learn and to grow in this. And then in our Christian life, I, I don't think you can just memorize half of two verses, have a picture of Jesus in your kitchen and show up to church now and then and think you're going to be all right. I think there needs to be some discipline in our life. Actually, what we're called to do is go, uh, Jesus said, go into the world Preach the gospel and make what? Disciples. Disciples. Do you know what a disciple is? It's a disciplined follower, a disciplined learner. There's some discipline that comes uh, to our life. Uh, Think about people in the Olympics even. You know, there's training involved in that. Y'all did realize that, right? Now, as believers, like it or not, believe it or not, ongoing training is a must. And uh, let me just go over this concept of trying versus training. And we've talked about this in other settings before. Trying versus training. 
And uh, we can try to be a good little Christian or we can train to be a real one. Uh, There's so many things that we're trying to do that we should actually be training to do. For example, trying to overcome temptation. Trying to overcome temptation. How's that going for you? Trying to be kind. Trying to live godly. Here's one. Trying to not worry. How's that one going? I remember in elementary school, I was, my mom said, behave. And I go, I'm trying. It took some discipline. It took some training. Trying to overcome temptation, be kind, live godly, not worry, etc. Is kind of like trying to run a marathon. Or trying to play violin. Or trying to learn to speak French. How many of you know that you just can't try it? Uh, I'm going to try to fly this airplane. I'm going to try to do your surgery for you. I saw a thing on YouTube. I think I could do it. You know? We don't want none of that. Uh, my wife, I'll just brag on her a little bit. She's been running and training and she's got a goal coming up here in a, in a few weeks where she's going to be a part of a, a 10 mile, uh, race. Um, win baby, win. No, uh, uh, her goal is to, to finish. But the thing was a few months ago, she wasn't even running at all. And now she's running this morning. She ran like five or six miles and I, I passed her on my bike and she's all sweaty. And I go, I'll, I'll kiss you later. You know, and I'm cool as I can be. I got the breeze from my bike, you know, water bottle holder, you know, uh, But you know what? It would be foolish to go into a 10-mile race and just try it. There has to be some training. You know, you had some incredible music here tonight. I hope you never take that for granted, too. And there's been hours and hours and years and years of training and practice that, that goes into that. And there's so many things that... Why do we think then to live this, to live this life that we're just going to try it? That when we see clearly in scripture, there needs to be some training involved with that. Um, even this, I'm trying my best as opposed to I'm training to be my best. It's the difference between doing and being. And look at me, folks. Christianity is more about being than doing. And if we just do all this stuff and we never are, I, that's where hypocrisy, that's where it falls apart. It's an effort to train to become. To as many as believed on him, to them he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become the sons of God. To become. It's a process. We continue to grow and learn in this. And so we're training in this. Look, look in Hebrews chapter 5 with me. Y'all still out there? Yes. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 in the New Living. It says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies. Hey, I'm just reading it, okay? You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Now, watch this. Solid food is for those who are mature. 
who through training, say through training, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The New King James talks about that they're able to discern. Everybody say discern. That's an important word. We'll come back here in just a little bit. The English Standard Version says this, we're trained by constant practice. We're trained by constant practice. In Proverbs 5, verse 23 in the Message Bible, it says, death is the reward. Watch this. Death is the reward of an undisciplined life. Death is the reward of an undisciplined life. Your foolish decisions trap you in a dead end. And then look at Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. And then I want to move to a a thought that we're going to lock on to here. It says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. Look at this next verse. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. How many of you know it's going to take some effort? Now, listen, grace... I can almost hear some people depending on your background. Oh, no, pastor, it's all grace. Oh, no, it's not. And grace is not, get this, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. If you're doing works so that you can earn something from God, you've missed the point. But when you cooperate with God, when he shows you things to do, they actually are steps on a path that take you where God wants to take you and move you along so you'll be closer to what God wants you to be. So there has to be, understand this, there has to be some effort on our part. And God will meet us there though. He will grace us. He'll give us the strength that we need to obey him. Well, we have to understand that he's calling us, he's calling us to a disciplined life. And I want to talk to you. We've talked about this a lot. We believe in spiritual formation. We believe in the absolute, get this, the absolute necessity of spiritual disciplines. There's some certain things that we must have as a part of our life. Bible reading. Church attendance. Prayer. Worship. We could go on and on. I want to zero in on one in particular tonight that is just really, really uh, fresh in my life. And it's one of the most important and yet it's one of the most neglected. And it is this solitude, solitude. Everybody say solitude. And you'll say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with everything. Um, how many of you, we, we uh, produced a CD a couple years ago called Solitude. It was a devotional CD. Did some of you all get that? It's out of print right now. We, we ran through like two, three uh, presses of that, and we just not ha- have redone it. I still uh, listen to mine. It's wonderful music just for times of, you know, personal uh, time with God, devotions, and so forth. On uh, the liner cover of that CD, I wrote these notes. And I want to read this to you, and then we're going to go on with a couple of thoughts. Because what I want to do is I want to drive you, I want to push you, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you towards solitude in your life. Now, from the liner notes, I wrote this. A while back in my reading, I ran across a Serbian proverb that states, solitude is full of God. 
Solitude is full of God. Go ahead and say that. Solitude is full of God. Uh, and let me just bookmark right there. You want to find God in solitude. The truth, this truth lit up in my heart and mind. It articulated what I pursue morning by morning. It is in that quiet place, away from the distractions, busyness, and noise of life, that we can more easily find ourselves in his presence. Jesus practiced this vital spiritual discipline of solitude. As we observe his life and ministry, we can easily see that time alone with the Father was his priority. Virtually every other thing he did was preceded and followed by times of solitude. Everybody say solitude again. Here's an awesome quote about solitude. Solitude with God, solitude with God is to you what water is to flowers. Solitude with God is to you what water is to flowers. I want to tell you that solitude does its work and it's a good work, even if you're not aware of it at the time. Would you hear, hear me out on this? You getting alone, alone. Do you understand what solitude is? Getting alone, getting away. Solitude is usually coupled with another discipline called silence. Silence. We always try to fill the silence, don't we? We feel like we got to pray, we got to sing, we got to we got to read, we got to talk, we got to do something. We got to pray in the spirit at machine gun pace, <laughs> you know, just just go just go nuts in that time because we got to fill the space. And and I'm telling you that there's solitude and silence that that goes together. There'll be other things that that couple with this, but solitude is absolutely vital. And I believe this that every time you do this, that you get alone. Pastor, how long do I have to be alone? Some of y'all are going to go nuts if you're alone for more than five minutes, aren't you? You know, and that creates the discipline of it. That's part of the discipline of it is to stay still and to stay quiet for a little bit. But I believe this, every effort that you make towards solitude, there's reward from it. There's some takeaway. It will do its good work. And you've got to learn to find kind of that rhythm of that for yourself. In, in a book I've been uh, just finished reading, I found this amazing quote here. Uh, and I want you to hang on to the words of this because this, I believe, will speak to you. Just as, and try to picture this, okay? Just as the physical law of gravity ensures that sediment swirling in a jar of muddy river water. Think about that. Picture, a, I, I should have got a big jar of muddy river water. Okay, just as the physical law of gravity ensures that sediment swirling in a jar of muddy river water will eventually settle and the water will become clear. So also get this. So also the spiritual law of gravity ensures that the chaos of the human soul will settle. If it sits long enough. Did you get it? I want to read it one more time. Imagine that jar. And it's got sediment. Muddy. River water. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say tonight. Muddy river. Say it with me. Is that hard for you to say? Muddy river water. Okay. You got a jar of that. And it's swirling around. Given time. That will settle. 
and the water will clear. Law of gravity. So also the spiritual law of gravity ensures, I love this, that the chaos of the human soul will settle if it sits long enough. I think that's the benefit. That's the benefit of solitude. We must resist the busyness. How many of you feel like sometimes you keep the swirl going? And we cannot get... And and I'll tell you what, if, if I get this question once, I get this question a thousand times. I just can't get clear on this. And I think part of how we get clear in our thinking, in our decision making in the leading in our life is we've got to learn this discipline of solitude. We have to resist our culture of busyness. How many of you know that our culture is busy? Okay. And you have to be careful. You know, when I get up and spend time with the Lord in the morning, I, I will read from a iPad a lot of mornings. And then I have a couple of books that I'll, that I'll read from too. And I have to fight this. I have to fight this. How many of you know that your phone or your tablet or whatever, it will buzz or bing or ding or something if you get an email or some news flash or whatever. And you're there reading your proverb and all goes bing, bing, bing. Maybe God sent me an email. And if you read one, then, oh, I got something from here, too. And sports authorities having a sale, you know. Come on, am I right? There's so many things. So you just got to be careful. You've just got to be careful. And so to overcome those kind of things or not set yourself up for those kind of things. And then we, how many of your mind runs when you're trying to be still? How many of you sometimes are thinking about all the things you've got to do today? You've got all this. Oh, and I remember this. Uh, Pastor Ron and I were just talking about this the other day. When things come to your mind during those times, write, just write them down. Just reach over and write them down and you'll find this. As soon as you commit it to paper, it will go out of your mind. Because what your mind is forced to retain, your body is forced to, to kind of keep that thing juggling. And so you've got to get it out of the way. We've got to resist our culture of busyness. Solitude is countercultural. Here's what happens. Here's the digression. We get in a hurry. We get this overload. Then we start to marginalize our time with God. How many of you know it's easier to push the snooze button and get you, what, nine more minutes? <laughs> than to even do nine minutes with God sometimes. Hello? And so we marginalize our time with God. That deteriorates our time with God, our fellowship with God, which makes us even more fragile, more vulnerable, more cluttered, more scattered. And then a breakdown starts to happen within within us. And then when we start to break down, guess what? We start to break down in relationships with others. And before we know it, we're a mess. I said, we're a mess. Did I offend you tonight? You're a mess. We're, we're, we're that muddy river water swirling around and we can't get clear on anything. When we have the whole potential, the full potential to get clear. 
But what it's going to take is we've got to get still if we'll just hold still for a little bit. I think it's better to slow down and be still than to be dragging one of your wheels around the track forever and then eventually derail and and crash. In Exodus chapter 3, and I'm just going to go a little little bit more here. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. And how many of you remember the burning bush? I mean, not like you were there, remember it, but you've... you've, Was anybody else there? Anybody? Okay. Um, Burning bush. And what do we do? Call the fire department. No. Um, God did that to get Moses' attention. In verse 4, it says, So when the Lord saw, everybody say, the Lord saw, that he turned aside to look. Watch this. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. In the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Get this. When you will turn aside to look, God will speak to you. When you will turn aside to look, God will speak to you. How many of you want God to speak to you? Now, how many of you know that it's not going to be some deep voice with a British accent like all the movies? Okay. (laughs) It's going to be spirit to spirit. It's going to be, it's going to have something on it. And I know this, that sometimes it's almost like just the breath of God does something. I I can't even explain this. Just kind of, and I know I got something and I have no clue what it is, but I feel really good. God just said something to me. And over the course of days, even weeks, my little system, my little mind is able to kind of articulate and form what it was that God spoke to me. And maybe it was just an answer. Maybe it was an encouragement. Maybe it was direction. Maybe, maybe it was just his love. Maybe it was just, I see you. You know, God will reassure and put those things in you. Stop trying to hear him just with this. Okay. And understand that he will speak to your heart. But I believe this. When you'll turn aside, you're going to hear from God. And one way or another, you're going to hear from him. In Psalm 4, verse 4, it says, be angry and do not sin, or we're going to call cops on you. Here's what you do with it. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Alicia was watching some of the replay of 9-11 today. It was on, on television and kind of real time kind of thing. And I walked in the room and she was just so upset. And I stopped and watched a little bit and I was just so upset. And I got to tell you the truth, made me stinking mad. But we can't live mad. We've got to let that swirling, muddy river water that gets into us. We've got to keep ourselves at peace. There is a righteous indignation for evil. But there needs to be that peace that we keep. And there will be things that make you angry. And it says this, don't sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. In Psalm 46.10, it says this, let be and be still. Let be and be still and know and recognize and understand that I am God. And here's the verse I wanted to get to tonight. And I'll share a few things and we'll wrap this up. Psalm 116 verse 7. 
It says, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Will you read this with me? Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. That last line means God's been good to you. How many of you, God's been good to you? Okay, leave that verse up if you would. Who is speaking? The psalmist is speaking. Who is he talking to? Himself. He's talking to his soul. What is he telling his soul? He's reminding himself. He's instructing himself. Return to your rest. That word rest, you know what return means. That word rest means in the Hebrew, quiet. A settled spot. A place of rest. Figuratively, home. Home. I mean, you know, you can travel and maybe stay in some okay places and everything, but there's no place like what? No place like home. No place like home. Listen, your soul has a place. It's home. It's supposed to be there. It wanders out. Different things happen and pull it out. But listen, you've got to get in charge of this and command and speak to your own soul to return, to get back to quiet, to get back to that place of rest. Your soul is supposed to be at rest. Your soul will get in unrest just by where you have to go and who you have to deal with. Y'all still with me here? I mean, just what we live with and what happens in our world, unrest comes. But this is what you've got to do, folks, if you're going to make it. You're going to have to get your soul to return. It's got to return. And one of the best ways that it returns is you've got to get still. You've got to have some solitude and some silence before God. Have you seen those Snickers commercials? It says, you're not you when you're hungry. And they have these stars, you know. You're just not you. How many of you know sometimes you're just not you? Some of y'all are whack at times. Am I right? You know, we just get that way. What's your problem? I, I know what your problem is. It's that swirling, muddy river water. It's the chaos of our soul. And you can't go day in and day out and then not lay your head down at night and, and commit that to God and return back to a place of peace and claim his promises of rest and peace and start your day out in rest and peace. But I got a big day and I got all these, then all the more. And you've got to know your way back to home. You've got to know your way back to that place of rest, that place of peace. Return to your rest, O my soul. And what did he remind himself of? Because the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. It's a huge word in the, in the Hebrew. Ultimately, it means this. He has been so good to you. He has treated you well. He is treating you well. He will treat you well. And just to remind yourself of the goodness of God causes you to return back to rest. Here's the takeaway on this. And I just have to do this real quick. We've talked about this a lot. You have three parts. You are a... You have a... 
you live in a... Okay, so for those of you that that was new, you are a spirit. The real you down on the inside is a spirit. Lives forever. Make sure you go to the right place forever. You have a soul, which I believe is also eternal. It's connected with this. And then you have a body. Now follow this. Spirit, body, that's flesh. This is spirit. Opposites. And when you're a Christian, your spirit is alive unto God and your spirit wants everything that God wants. Okay? Your body, not so much. Okay? And I always illustrate it this way. Sunday morning, time to get up to go to church. Spirit man, yes! Body is like, shut up! Sleeping. Am I right? I'm the preacher. And that happens. Not today, but that's just the body. Okay, now get this. The deciding vote on everything. You already know what your spirit's going to vote. You already know what your body's going to vote. The deciding vote is right here. It's right here. And if you can't get clear, if you can't get clear, this one's going to make more noise. This one has a larger campaign budget. You make noise and lobby and everything else. Y'all with me? And this is the deciding vote. And you've got to get clear in your soul. This is your, your, this is where you think, where you feel and where you decide. And if you're not clear, if you've got chaos in there, it's going to mess up your thinking, your feeling, your emotions and your decisions. Get clear. And here's what happens. Solitude brings your soul back to center. Solitude reminds you who your source is because the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Solitude will help to restore peace. Solitude will bring confidence. Solitude will help you have clarity so you can have direction. And then I want to go to this one and then I'll finish tonight. Solitude will help you have discernment. That you'll know, we read it earlier in Hebrews, you'll know right and wrong. You'll know now's the time, now's not the time. How many of you would really like to know the will of God on something? You got to get still. Quit calling dear Abby and what was that? Fortune teller lady, you could call. Was her name? Ah, why do you know this? <laughs> I was waiting for whoever. Yeah, you just have to. <laughs> Miss Cleo. You don't need no Miss Cleo. Okay. You need the one who knows knows all, sees all, and loves you so much. And you just got to get still. I'm telling you, I would say probably 90% of what you need is just to get still. Just to get still. It's worth it. It's work. Because we're so not used to it. We're so not used to it. It's a discipline. But I'm telling you what, it's one of the most important yet most neglected. But I can't encourage you enough. 
I can't encourage you enough. Even just learn to take moments. I forced myself this morning at one point. I went, I'd gone out on my front porch and I went back in and I forced myself because when I went out, I was looking around doing a few things and I forced myself just to go out and just look at what the creator made again. And you know what? It will never get boring because it's different every day. And just to feel the breeze and just don't think, don't talk, don't nothing. Just get still a little bit and let that chaos, that muddy river water, let it start to slow down. Let it just start to settle and you'll get clear. Return into your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Amen. I'm going to stop right there. Did you get anything at all out of this tonight? Thank you, Lord.